Welcome to Kitchen Table, candid conversations about sex, relationships, and being human. I'm Brittany Palacastro. And I'm Nick Antony. And today we are talking to Amy Crichton about sex therapy and attachment styles. Gonna be a good one. Mm-hmm. Hey, Nick. Hey, Britt. What's going on? Today, we're talking about attachment styles and sex therapy. We are. Yeah. It took us five tries to do our intro because <laughs> I was like, hey, this is Kitchen Table, blah, 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 blah. And Nick's like, I'm Nick Anstey. And then didn't say anything. Pause. And like, just I was like, like dude, it's your line. I know. Sorry. <laughs> space, a space. And then I messed up the pronunciation of our guest name. And and then I just couldn't stop laughing. And then I was like, I'm getting anxious because I'm time. Blah. So we'll gain clarity on pronunciation of that name. We will. But that's a um, that's a little inter in inside of how Nick and I work sometimes. We get the giggles, yeah. <laughs> we get the giggles. I get caught up in time. And then we're just like, blah, <laughs> if that makes sense. But yes, yeah, so we're talking about attachment styles and sex therapy, which attachment styles are one of my favorite topics like, in the whole world. Oh, yeah. Kink, polyamory, attachment styles, the nervous system. The trifecta. That's that's probably, well, what's the four? The quadfecta? The quadfecta? Is that that what it is? I don't know. Well, I said four. Try is three. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, so get ready to get some good information about attachment styles. Mm -hmm. People should be aware and mindful of what their attachment styles are. It's helpful to be aware. Yeah. You can navigate that shit. Absolutely. So let's do this. Welcome to Kitchen Table. I'm Brittany. I'm Nick. And today we are talking to sex therapist, Amy Crichton. We're going to be talking about lots of good things, but my favorite topic, one of my favorite topics, we're going to be talking about attachment styles. So before we get into the good stuff, (laughs) and I have lots of questions, we will talk a little bit about Amy so you know what's up. So Amy is a couple and family therapist that specializes in sex therapy. She works at the therapy group in Westchester, PA, and resides in Philadelphia with her partner and two children. Welcome, Amy. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We're so excited to have you here. <laughs> it's been ages to be seeing you. Yes, yes, we know Amy. <laughs> yes, Amy took a teacher training with me years ago. And that really brings me to my first question is, you know, what is sex therapy exactly, right? Because people have lots of (laughs) opinions about therapy and taking care of their mental health. There's still a lot of stigma, which personally blows my mind. And it it makes sense to an extent. So first, It doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me because it's, you know, it's just a way to keep from moving towards the things that we sometimes want to move away from. Let's talk a little bit first about just what is sex therapy? And I'd also just love to know, and this is a little selfish because I know you, I want to know a little bit just about your journey, like how you came to this. Because I know that I don't think this was your first career choice, right? There were other things you were doing. Yes, I had a, a whole other career. It seems like a whole other life before I found therapy. So first question, what is sex therapy, right? 
So therapy in general is, you know, where you go to talk about your mental health and uncover and get to know the layers that exist, right? Sex therapy is the same thing. It's just, I have more education, specialized education on the topic of sex. So how sex shows up in our relationships, sexual dysfunction, Basically, like how mental health and sex are tied together, which they all exist within us. So of course, who we are comes out in how we act in our sex lives. So it's just the intersection of both sex and mental health. There's no touching involved. I mean, this is a question I get all the time. So there's no touching. It's just talking. Absolutely. And you might talk about sex. (laughs) That's going to happen. But it's clear. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, there's, I mean, it's the same thing with the work that I do. People think a lot of times that there's you know, especially with the work that I do. Can you give me a, a yoni massage or a lingam massage? And and that's fine. You know, that's, that's, there are times and places for that and people that do those things. There's also therapists that do um, work in that nature as well from, you know, from sure. what I've heard, um, sex, surrogate, sexual surrogates and things sexual like that. Sexual surrogacy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it's also important to, to have those clear understandings and boundaries that um, just because the, the word sex is involved in some kind of support doesn't mean that sex is being had. Yeah. Right. Right. And it's so interesting because you're talking about the stigma around mental health and there's also this, um, I don't want to say stigma around sex, but talking about sex. Taboo. Yes, there's a taboo. And I find it so interesting that so many people's first thought is that there's somehow sex involved, right? As if sex has to be involved for sex to be in the room. Mm-hmm. Yes. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Oh, I felt that. Mm-hmm. Felt that in my body. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like a. That's a really powerful statement. I've never really heard it. Set, like, I've no. You just like we're like four minutes in, and Amy's dropping. I said that. Right. I, I just really felt that. that. I was like, damn. I don't know what just happened. But, yeah. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. Right. Sex doesn't have to be had for it to be in the room. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think if we all just sat with that statement, I think that a lot of things would change mm-hmm. around our relationship with sex. I mean, this makes me want to go on a completely different journey on this conversation, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. About how we need to show up sexually when we're with our partners, when we're with ourselves and what all of that looks like. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And how you can be with yourself and your sexual self without there having to be sex. Yes. Yeah. You know, I try to infuse that in a lot of my messaging, like take the orgasm off the pedestal. You know, it doesn't have to be a climax. You don't even have to touch. And I've been exploring that like within my own experience as well of just shifting that, shifting my relationship with sex recently, understanding some truths around that. And I still, even within myself, as much work as I've done around sex and sexuality and teaching and all of these things, I still notice that I fall into some of those ideologies around sex. Like one being, if both people don't come or orgasm, and then it's a failure or, you know, these ideas around penetrative sex. Right, mm-hmm. like we're, we're so goal oriented when it comes to yeah. sex. Yeah, the majority it's a of the lot time. of cultural conditioning. Oh my god, like, so much steeping, 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 and we culturally do such a poor job <laughs> educating like young people around this topic. Oh, yeah. 
But there's no we, education, basically. There's no. <laughs> it's just like, but the commodification of it, it exists, but you can't exist everywhere and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. And it's just, it blows my mind. Yeah. So we're all just trying to climb out of it, basically. And that's where you come in. <laughs> that's where I come in. And you too, just through yeah, in, a different, in a different way, but in a same different way. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And so what does it look like? Because, you know, our therapist that we actually, like my entry in, like we went into couples therapy and our therapist was a sex therapist. We very rarely talked about sex. And even like my clients, I mean, people come to me, you know, as like a sexual liberation coach or come to me, all different reasons, right? But a lot of times, even with me, we don't necessarily always talk about sex, right? And so I'm just curious for you. I mean, that could be different, right? People could come with very specific things. What that looks like for you. So it doesn't always mean talking about sex all the time. Yeah. In fact, I've never had a client or clients that I've seen where all we talk about is sex, right? Because it is so intertwined that you end up talking about other things like, for example, relationships, your childhood, the conditioning, the cultural conditioning. So I do bring up sex a lot with people, especially people Mm -hmm. who come to me with specific identified problems, we'll call them, around sex. Even though it's Mm -hmm. not always problems, it's sometimes perception or something like that. But yeah, absolutely. So we examine how sex shows up in relationships or, you know, if I'm dealing with a sexual dysfunction, working in a collaborative team with other providers to see what we can do about it, if it's physical or if it's maybe something else. Mm -hmm. So like for some pelvic floor issues, sometimes it's you know this from yoga, right? Mm-hmm. We hold tension in our shoulders. We hold tension in our hips and our necks. Some people hold tension in their pelvic floor and it causes a really tight pelvic floor, which can create sexual dysfunction. Absolutely. So it's just constant peeling back of layers. Yeah. And so how does the relationship, you know, you said like, sometimes we talk about our childhood and sometimes we talk about the conditioning. Can you speak just to how all of that affect? it's going to take like 10 hours, but how all of that <laughs> affects, our, can affect our sex lives, our relationship? Yeah. I think the simplest way to describe it is that let's just use the bedroom door, for example. When we walk mm-hmm. through the bedroom door, we don't leave parts of ourselves outside of it. We take every part of ourselves into that bedroom, mm-hmm. right? So it makes sense that all of the things that we're experiencing, our internal experiences and the landscape that we have as individuals would come with us into the bedroom. So it may not be directly related. This happened in my childhood and therefore I have sex like this. Mm -hmm. But there's usually some connection. And a deeper understanding of yourself on all levels helps to improve how you understand yourself sexually too. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, I like to say that when we can foster presence, that presence fosters focus and also awareness. Mm -hmm. And when we can foster awareness, in my opinion, that's a big cornerstone to healing. For the most part, if we don't feel it, it's hard to heal it, right? We need to be able to, in some level, whether it's physically, somatically, physiologically, allowing that information, right? It might not always be a cognizant space, but allowing that information to pass through. Mm -hmm. And so that's, for me, the growth of self-awareness over the years, which started with a yoga practice, but has, you know, been cultivated by so many other practices Mm -hmm. and therapy included, has really allowed 
for, especially just in these last couple of years, the deepest healing of my life. You know, I'm in my forties now. And mm-hmm. this is now like literally as I speak, this is the deepest healing I've ever experienced. And, oh, yeah. and I've been on this journey for years. Yeah. People put the shit in boxes. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes. They don't want to unpack those boxes. Yeah. And the idea of doing that and the ruffling your, your feathers in that space. Yeah. It takes the wind out of your sail, but. On the back end of it, crossing through that, feeling that, processing that, like there's just so much light and growth. And like, as a country, we we, we want to push this away as much as possible. And people are like, oh, the person doesn't exist. But it's like, no, we have to address these issues in order to move fast past them. Right. This makes no sense otherwise. Right. In order to heal it. And if we're talking about sex specifically, so often there's this shame wrapping paper around the sex <laughs> box, <I'm> right? <laughs> like that. So I'm with you putting things in boxes, right? And so people <laughs> yeah. don't want to touch it. They're like, I'll yeah. talk about my childhood. I'll talk mm-hmm. about, you know, something traumatic that happened to me as long as it's not sexually related. But mm-hmm. if it comes to sex, yeah, I'm just going to leave that over there in that dark yeah. corner. Absolutely. Or fear expressing your needs within that space mm-hmm. or operating as though you don't have to say anything and it should just be. Or if like, you know, you're interacting with somebody and if it's not popping the way you want, oh, I can't get with that. That's just, I, you got to talk about these things. You got to yeah. be open and willing to communicate mm-hmm. freely and not be afraid of that. Yeah. And I have a lot of compassion and empathy because I understand why it's so challenging, yeah. you know, like, there's frustration and there's this compassion of, yeah, this is the truth. This is how we roll as a society. And I see the pain in that and like, you know, the shame wrapping paper around that, which makes it so hard. You know, we have choice. Yes. But when something is unconscious and we don't have that awareness of it, it's really hard to move through that if we don't even know what's going on. Right. And something that I always talk about with my clients is that when we don't have information, our anxiety tends to fill in the blanks. Oh, so, yeah. right. So whenever we're given all of these implicit messages about sex and we don't have the facts, right? Nick, you had mentioned education. We don't even have basic education. It's wild. So we just fill in the blanks with our anxiety or, you know, as kids, things we hear on the bus or mm-hmm. nowadays things that kids or people in general see on the internet in porn and all of these things. Right. So. No, absolutely. Yeah. And porn has a play. Porn mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. my uh, friend and colleague, um, Dr. Timory Schmidt likes to say that porn is entertainment, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Not ed- education. And she equates it. The metaphor she uses is that it's like using the Fast and the Furious movies to learn how to drive mm. is like good. what we do with sex and porn. Right? Isn't it good? Yes. It's so good. Yeah, that's so good. That's yeah. so good. Yeah, or even like learning everything you need to know about romantic relationships from movies. From rom which we do. Guilty. Let's be real. Yes. Guilty. Oh, Again, wait, that's wanna... conditioning, right? Guilty. Wait, you got to share the... Oh, God. Can you share it? It's up to you. Does this my say anything moment? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is good. My say anything moment. Say anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I literally had, had this close friend that like, I, I became absolutely enamored with. We used to watch Say Anything like, often and frequently in our hangouts. And one year during Christmas, in addition to like getting a gift, like, I was just like, I'm going to do that Say Anything moment. And it's going to be so perfect. Uh, so like... I thought about it. Like I found the perfect song and uh, it was something in the way you move by the Beatles. And like, I go outside and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he took the thing. 
I had this boom box, but like, uh, so check it. So I had this boom box, the music's playing, she's just watching. Her dad's home, her dad comes downstairs, he's like, what's that sound? Opens the, <laughs> opens the, uh, the blinds of the shade or whatever, the door, like, pulls it aside, it's just like, mm. And then closes it, and then a dog runs out, is running circles around me, and he's just like, "That's that's interesting." Goes back upstairs. Like, oh this, my god! And I was like, Ugh. "Like I think about it now, I'm just like, wow." But I had such this like so sweet though rom com. Like, it I is did. so sweet. Yeah, <laughs> it is so sweet, but it doesn't turn out that way in real life, right? Well, no, Not, exactly. no, sometimes maybe. Sometimes. So, for those of yeah. you who are like, "Would say anything," it's John Cusack classic, like '80s movie. Watch it it's where you're with the big boombox outside in the pouring rain like so just google say anything boombox moment and you'll know exactly what we're talking it's, about it's, it's i feel like everyone has moment. to have seen that picture yeah but I if mean, there's millennials like or gen, millennial, gen nexus yeah, yeah, yeah. they'll be like what's that <laughs> i don't know what that is and i don't know what telephones are <laughs> love you gen zers <laughs> it's classic music. it's your education just, just watch, it. watch really, it. You'll, yeah. love it you'll love it but yeah you're right Sex in the City, the first one, I got so much of my sex education from Sex in the City. And I'm still unpacking that shit. <laughs> I know. Me too. Me too. I mean, I watched that like in high school and college, right? In like very f- sexually formative years. I mean, mm-hmm. formative years in general, but especially sex, you're starting to learn your sexual self. I was starting to learn my sexual self at that time. Yeah. And to have the information, you know, like there are certain Absolutely. parts of it that I remember that I'm like, why? That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. There's one episode where Miranda meets this guy and he's into doing butt stuff. Yes. And she's okay with it being done to her, but to her to for her to do it to him is like, you know, and she freaks out. Mm-hmm. And you get so much information from little tiny scenes like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's another one. She does a lot of butt stuff. There's another one where <laughs> the guy, like this, like it was dirty talk and he liked a finger in his ass. And she was like, He's like, what else do I like? And she was like, you like a good finger in your ass. And all of a sudden, like they break up because like <laughs> she voices that he likes. If he asked her, what yeah. do I like? Yeah. Like, yeah, and she knew. And his shame was like, I got to get out of here, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, it spoke to things, but just didn't unpack that. I mean, for the time, it was advanced for um, its time. Yeah. That it was out. I definitely, and being like a someone that, that was dragged into watching Sex in the City. Like, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> the truth comes out. hundred and ten percent. I don't want to watch these privileged ass white women on this show just like float around. <laughs> like like fair enough. But like I, yeah. I gain an appreciation for it based off of like just like loving you and like I'll share this thing with my partner. <laughs> That's love, you guys. That's love. <laughs> okay, absolutely. That is but, love. <laughs> Like, watching Sex in the City. Oh, yeah, to watch, watch a show you're not enjoying but, with your partner. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I think it all happens in a lot of relationships. At times. I agree. Yeah. Do that. Okay. Let, I, got let's, it. I got into it. Yeah. Let's be real here because I was like, we watched an episode and then he's like, oh, I was like, what do you want to watch, Nick? And he's like, I want to watch Sex in the City. So let's. We let's- were in. <laughs> we were in it. We had to finish it. I cannot not finish. Like, yeah, I had to finish it to the end. So there we go. The truth now really comes <laughs> It's absolutely. I remember with, with Samantha saying like, sex is the barometer for the relationship. I like just unpacked that shit recently. <laughs> yeah. And that's a deep one. Yeah. That yeah. is a deep one. Yeah. Deep. Let's talk about that for just a second before we move right. into attachment style goodness, because I think that's worth talking about. Is sex the barometer for a relationship and why do we think that and how do we unpack that, Amy? Mm. 
big questions, but I think the answer is no. Yeah. I generally don't think that you can apply a rule like that to all relationships. Every relationship is different. I mean, there are people who have sex one time a year and that works for them in their relationship. Yeah. Yes. There are people who have sex five times a day and that works for them in their relationship. Mm -hmm. So a common question is like, how much sex should we be having? I don't know. How much sex do you want to be having? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. And mismatch desire is something I work with, but that's a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But no, I mean, I don't think that it is necessarily a barometer. I think it can enrich a relationship beautifully. I think it can also sometimes keep us in relationships that otherwise we wouldn't stay in if the sex weren't good. Yeah. Agreed. Mm-hmm. I have been there. <laughs> For like, uh... <laughs> no shame. It's incredibly nuanced. Yeah, no, yeah, no shame. Happened. That it they lasted as long as they needed to last. Like and it was good. You're learning from these things. Absolutely. We learn so much about ourselves in relationships in general. Right. There's so, well, so much to grow and learn. So much. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, so does that so, answer your question? I can't. It's it a three-part question, and I can't remember all of the three parts. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. You know, when we talk about sex and how much sex should we be having, there's also this idea of what is sex, mm. right? What is sex? And you know, there's oftentimes a very, very heteronormative understanding of what sex is, which is PIV, penis in vagina sex, right? Mm -hmm. And that that is sex. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when there's this idea of how much sex should I be having, it's oftentimes people, when they think of that, they think of penetrative sex. Period. Yeah. (laughs) And if I don't have penetrative sex while I'm not having sex, and it's like, not everybody wants to be penetrated Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I, Dan Savage says, like, uh, Dan Savage, writer and podcaster, he's who I listen to religiously. Love me some Dan Savage. I'm obsessed. He says, speaking to, say, like, a cis man in in a relationship with a cis woman, he's like, you get penetrated. Like, you let her penetrate you and see how that feels and see if you would want to be penetrated as often as you expect someone, you know, if there is someone who wants that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I want sex in, in, in this very specific way. And I love that because it's like, yeah, there's so many ways to experience sex. And I mean, you know, Nick and I, we had, is it okay if I talk about this? Sure. Yeah. So we struggled for a long time. You know, our relationship is very, and when we get into attachment styles, you know, Nick's secure. And as a result, I'm anxious with earned security. We'll talk about that. But um, our relationship has been very stable from the beginning and, you know, a very stable relationship. And sometimes in relationships like that, the, the sex is different, right? We've had, it's not that like, oh my God, I got to rip your clothes off because there's this animalistic thing inside of me. Like, blah. that's great. And that's great. <laughs> and you know, we have that sometimes that comes out from time yeah. to time and now being together for 11 years though, you know, like we don't have, especially penetrative sex. We don't have penetrative sex a lot. It's just, we just, it's not like an integral part. No. We have so many other ways of connecting with each other. And sharing intimacy. And sharing intimacy. And some are sexual and a lot aren't. A lot are baseline for Nick and I. Our foundation is joy Mm -hmm. and playfulness. Yeah. Right. Like we play, we laugh, we touch, we kiss, we, we kiss each other's forehead. Like I kiss oh Nick's God. forehead. Every single day. Oh, like we get no, like it's, it's the, the forehead one is new. We, I kiss his forehead. He kisses my forehead and then we touch forehead. <laughs> 
at least like five, at least five times a day. A lot. <laughs> yeah. And so that's beautiful. Yeah. There's something important that you just said, and it's about how you find play together. Yeah. And Esther Perel, who I love. <laughs> so dope. Talks about how eroticism in play. Yes. Can you speak to that a little more? Sure. So I think, first of all, to talk about eroticism in general, I think that the word sex and eroticism get mixed up sometimes. I think a lot of times people mean mm. eroticism mm. when they say sex. Okay. Tell us more. So eroticism is like those feelings of desire and it's like this deep <laughs> moving as I say it. It's like this deep felt sense of desire and play and creativity and it is a deep joy. And sometimes, you know, there's arousal that comes with that. But again, arousal doesn't always mean sex. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So I think letting yourself go and letting yourself be vulnerable in a playful way creates a lot of eroticism in a relationship because you're letting yourself be seen. We're erotic as fuck. <laughs> yes. Yes. yes, we are. <laughs> going to say, going to say it chest and be very proud. Of like, this is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's a lot. I think of our struggles, but a lot of them is is our perceptions. And you said that in the very beginning of this conversation. Sometimes it's our perceptions, and sometimes it is physiological and physical. Yeah. Absolutely, right. And those things need to be looked at and honored and respected. And a lot of times it's like things like this, it's our perception, yeah. mm -hmm. a perception of what we think we should be doing. Mm -hmm. And then we create a problem where there is no problem. Yes. Let me compare this to my friend Susan who has sex, you know, five times a week and we only have one. There's an issue there. There is no issue there. Like if yeah. you're tired, especially in the space of having like children and a family, the amount of energy required <laughs> <laughs> to be a parent, to sustain. Yeah. You oh. can speak to this better than we can, Amy. Yeah, I can definitely speak to it. <laughs> my cousin, whenever I had my second child, my cousin said to me, who has two kids, now that you have two kids, you're going to go from running the dishwasher once a week and having sex every day to running the dishwasher every day and having sex once a week. <laughs> Girl, watch. Did that happen? <laughs> Like, you don't even know. <laughs> it's like, you know, you got to juggle it. It really is hard to yeah. balance those things. Yeah. Like, and, uh, make time. But as long as you're actively like doing that with your partner in a mindful way, communicating yeah. and being like, yeah. yo, I'm tired as shit today. Yeah. I don't have any energy to, to engage with you in that way. Maybe this time, even scheduling it. It's okay to schedule shit. It's okay. Schedule that time. Mm -hmm. Do whatever you got to do. I think scheduling sex can be incredibly sexy yeah. and can create a lot of those erotic feelings that we were talking yeah. about. Because then you're like, oh, sex is scheduled for Wednesday at eight. <laughs> let's say. On Tuesday at eight, I'm going to send you a sexy text message that says, I can't wait to see you in 24 hours. Oh, snap. Yep. And they're going to know exactly what you mean. And that's going to start to build that fire a little bit, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, listen, I love sexting. Sexting is great. And like being very explicit is great. But you don't always have to be to start to stir it up a little bit, right? Yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. absolutely. So this came up when you said that. So schedule sex and then like the build up, and okay, it rolls around. And I, I already have an answer to this, but I want to, I feel like people might be having this on their minds. So it rolls around and then you're exhausted. You've had a really hard day. So how do you navigate that? Well, I think that there's a couple ways you can navigate it, right? I think you can reschedule, take a rain check. Be super honest with your partner about what's going on. Talk about how they feel about it, right? 
like let it be an intimate moment without it having to be a sexual moment. That's what I was thinking. Or sometimes, depending on the situation, so there are two kinds of desire. There's responsive desire, a responsive arousal, and spontaneous desire and arousal. So spontaneous, it sounds like you're sitting there and you're just like, ooh, I feel a little single. I like want to go have sex, right? And responsive is whenever things get going a little bit and your body neat, like kind of catches up with you or that arousal piece catches up. So you could see if you felt like it was available, right? Again, depends on the person, depends on the situation. If responsive desire, responsive arousal was something that happened for you in that moment. I like that. That's good. That's helpful. What's your, your response that you had? On? Oh, what was Amy said that like, it doesn't have to be sexual. Yeah. It can be intimate. And we've done that. Drinking tea and reading in bed and like just touching is something that's really an intimate experience for us. This was more recently, I say in the last like couple of years, exploring more things like body touching and body caressing and just like being naked and having my whole body caress like that. That's something that's felt really, really lovely. And then also for Nick and I, like, it's not like tit for tat. It's not like, oh, you do this, so I have to do this. Sometimes it's like, you know, I'll go down on you. And that's really fulfilling for me. That is very fulfilling. I can write about this last night on Instagram. I can feel, like, you know, get orgasm in my body. I'm experiencing a release as well. It's different. And that's enough. And, you know, there's a lot of conditioning yeah. around that, especially in heterosexual relationships where it's like, oh, well, I'm the woman. I'm already getting the short end of the stick, so to speak, and I can't be taken advantage of in this way. And just because you're performing a sexual act on someone doesn't mean that you're not getting fulfillment. And I think there's a lot of misinformation about that, like which creates then our reality. Like you can absolutely get a lot of pleasure. I could be wrong, but I think it's more coming from this direction of like, if I'm a woman and then if I have to give a blowjob, then it's a job and it's not pleasure. And not, I know not everyone, it's a thing that I've seen a lot and I've heard a lot in lots of you know, media and just people speaking about it. Gifting and receiving is really important. Like gifting and being able to offer something or like provide pleasure to someone and be like, you know what? That's just for you. Like you can either choose to, you know, bounce this back or not. I'd be completely happy with that. That's something that I actually am trying to incorporate Mm-hmm. more and within my relationships is like not needing it to be so low oriented and right like finding pleasure in your partner's pleasure exactly yeah i mean that's a real thing but again that's a connectivity thing say more about that so i think that when we're disconnected from ourselves we're ultimately disconnected from our partners and when we're focusing on checking boxes and being goal oriented that we're not actually asking ourselves too many questions or being in tune with what our partner needs or wants Because I'm also thinking about it in the way of like, say one partner gives the other an orgasm. The person who had the orgasm might say like, oh, now I need to reciprocate. Is it possible that's not what your partner wants? Maybe your partner just wanted to give you pleasure, right? So I think there's a lot going on in these kinds of scenarios where there's goals and reciprocation and all of this kind of stuff like in the moment, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, adds a lot of added pressure to... The, yeah. the circumstances and interacting period. Well, that's the thing. Cause it's like, is it for them or is it for you? Right. Do you want to give them an orgasm for them or for you? Cause if they're okay with it and you know, are you feeling guilty mm-hmm. because you received pleasure and then what's there? Like what's in that? Yeah. Cause that has nothing to do with them. 
It probably has some stuff to do with attachment styles, honestly. Exactly. Which, way to bring it back. I was like, we're going to get to it eventually, but I just love this conversation. Amy, I like what you did right there. I like it. Thank you. That's a therapist in full-blown form there. (laughs) Yes, it is. It is. Let me bring it back. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about you saying that you you have an anxious attachment style, right? And then, Mm -hmm. you know, with learned security. But I think that what you're talking about, what we're talking about, receiving pleasure and then feeling like you have to give it back mm-hmm. is an anxiously attached thing to do. And as an mm-hmm. as a person who also has an anxious attachment style, mm-hmm. I can really feel it, right? Which is probably why I went to that scenario in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can really feel that like I'm measuring my self-worth based on the approval or responsiveness of another person. So let's talk about what the attachment styles are. Mm-hmm you know, just a little bit about attachment theory. Sure. You know, a lot of people know about it. It's a very big buzzword right now. You know, the book Attached was a big thing. Mm -hmm. What are attachment styles? What's attachment theory? And how can we use them to navigate and to heal? I mean, it was understanding uh, attachment styles for me was life-changing. Yeah. So attachment is one lens to look at yourself and your relationships through. Right. I always think it's important to say, like, whenever we're talking about something that has labels on it, attached to it, it doesn't mean that this is who you are a hundred percent. Yes. We all contain many layers. We yeah. all are unique. We're all multifaceted. This is just one way to look at yourself. So mm-hmm. there's that. Attachment theory, I mean, it depends how you know historical and technical you want to get, was established by John Bowlby mm-hmm. back in I want to say the 50s. So it's got roots. Mm -hmm. I mean, therapy in general is only 40s, 50s, that time era. So we're still learning about these kinds of things. It's generally new field, but as far Mm -hmm. as the establishment of the field, attachment has been around for a good part of it. Your attachment style is thought to be formed based on your relationship with primary caregivers early in life. Okay. And the theory is that how you form relationships early in life and the way you attach to your primary caregivers informs your other relationships the older you get. Mm -hmm. So it's this idea of we form habits. A lot of times in childhood and infancy, it's for survival. We attach to our primary caregivers in a certain way because that's how we have to do it to survive. So that's what we learn. And then we just carry it with us. Mm -hmm. So attunement to the parent Attunement of the parent to the child's needs leads to secure attachment. So we're talking about being attuned to our partners and sex, right? Like if you think about somebody who's very attuned to their partner and to themselves, right? It was likely that their parents were attuned to them. Mm. Unless that attunement is learned later. So misattunement leads to some form of insecure attachment. Now, the way attachment theory, people vary on how many attachment styles they they think that there are. I usually go off of four. I don't mm-hmm. know what your thinking on that is, Brittany, if anything. Yeah. So what four are they? Anxious, fearful, mm-hmm. avoidant, which is also known as disorganized, secure, Okay. and then dismissive avoidant. Yes. Okay. So fearful avoidant is disorganized. So those were the four that I connect to as well. I actually didn't realize that fearful, avoided, and disorganized though were the same thing. Cause I've heard disorganized kind of be put out there and then so that makes a lot of sense. So yes, same. I think yeah. it's the same thing. It's just different people use different language. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So anxious, fearful, avoidant, and dismissive avoidant are the insecure attachment styles. Secure is exactly what it sounds like. 
is it possible to embody, to have that pop up? Basically within my relationship with Brittany, I am secure, but I definitely feel like I've had moments where anxiousness has popped up and it's just like, oh. And avoidant. And avoidant. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. So it feels like it may be different all pertaining to the relationship. Yeah. And I think that that's an important piece is that whenever you interact with specific people, the relationship dynamic changes. You're dealing with two people with two unique experiences and styles and all of that kind of stuff. And so we adapt in certain ways Mm -hmm. to certain relationships. But I think Mm -hmm. like there can be overarching themes. So having a secure attachment style doesn't mean that you never feel anxiety in relationships. Yeah, yeah. It also doesn't mean that you never feel avoidant in a relationship. I have an anxious attachment style, (laughs) but I'll avoid like the plague if it comes to that. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I don't know if we can still say avoid like the plague in pandemic times, but... Oh, yeah. (laughs) We just did. It came out of my mouth and I was like, (laughs) I don't know how to pull that one back in, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is our reality. It's all good. So what is secure? Just give like a little definition of what secure means. Sure. So I think the easiest way to think about it is when you have a secure attachment style, it's a positive attitude about yourself. It's a positive attitude about the other person in the relationship. I've never heard that before. Okay. I like that. Positive attitude. When you say positive attitude, what I hear is like you feel relaxed in that relationship to an extent or safe. Yeah. Like there's safety there. Safety is easily accessible, most likely because that safety is within yourself, but you're not really trying to resource that safety as much from the other person. Right. You feel grounded enough in yourself that you know yourself that, you know, if there's conflict or something, you're not saying like, I'm the whole problem or you're not saying they're the whole problem. Mm -hmm. I'm the whole problem is would be an anxious attachment. What did I do? Right. What did I do wrong that made them want to leave me? What is it about me that makes them not want to be here with me? And what do I have to do to get them to want me? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or who do I have to be? Or who do I have to be? 100%. Yeah. For me, there was a lot of control in that of, you have to text me like this. You have to use this many emojis. You have to say that. Wait, you didn't respond to this. And so for me, it it looked like a lot of controlling Mm -hmm. to make sure that safety was being resourced in the way that I needed it to, because I'm a very vocal person. And so I have no problem asking for what I need. Not at all. But what I didn't, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) But what I didn't realize, well, the, the interesting thing is that Nick's secure. So a lot of my needs that I've asked for over the years didn't intimidate him, didn't produce a fear response to him because... <laughs> you want to share that story? Yeah. So it's a prime, exa- I, it's a prime example of... Yeah. Nick and I were dating for, I don't know, a couple weeks, maybe less than a month. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was day three. I hadn't heard from him. I was pacing around my apartment. My roommate at the time was like, call him. You're driving me crazy. <laughs> so I so I was like, wait, is he calling me? Does it mean we're not together? And this, I had no idea what attachment anything was. Mm -hmm. And so I called him and I said, hi, are we still dating? (laughs) I was was like, uh. Nick was eating something. He was like, uh, yeah. It was like so casual. I was like, "Uh, yeah, I thought so. I thought we were. I was just like, I was about calling you and like, I asked if you wanted to do something. And, and, you know, tomorrow, actually, I handled it so casually. It didn't. Didn't phase him. Didn't phase me at all. I was like, yeah, we're still dating. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the, for me as an anxious attachment, that there was a lot of that. There was needing to have my plans intact before I leave the person. I mean, I still 
And, you know, it works for me because I'm polyamorous. So yeah. it, you kind of have to plan stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but my partner, my partner now is fine with it. Like he's, let's plan like three dates out in advance. It doesn't affect his well-being yeah. <laughs> to have to do that. Right. He's, he's not freaked out by it. Right. Now let's talk about avoidant people because they tend to get a bad rap. It's the same coin. It's just the opposite side. It's still about safety. It is. Right? It's just, it's the same. It, it, they get such a, oh, I'm not going to date avoiding people. I'm not going to, you know, they close down, they shut down. It's like, well, it's just the opposite. It's the opposite response and reaction to someone whose nervous system is turned on as opposed to someone's nervous system that's kind of like the switch is off. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah general way of saying that? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, an avoidant person, like you said, I think, it is just about safety. It's just how they learned how to be safe was to, if we're talking about dismissive avoidant, how they learned that they could only rely on themselves and never to rely on anybody else. And if you think about learning that in your childhood, I, for one, have a lot of compassion for people who have had to learn that early in life, that they can only rely on themselves. It makes me very sad. Yeah, 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 it really is. Amy, is that where people pleasing comes into? Because in my experience, because I track a lot of people pleasers mm-hmm. is people pleasing and avoiding dismissive somewhat connected or no is that kind of across the board i think it can be across the board i identify very much as a people pleaser in recovery from people pleasing okay. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but also have an anxious attachment style so i think it depends okay so if we're talking about dismissive avoidant those are the people that are highly highly independent don't ask anybody from mm-hmm. anything. I don't need anything from you. I'll do it myself. Mm-hmm. And so they have, that tends to be low anxiety, but they have a positive mm-hmm. attitude about self and a negative attitude about others. Mm, okay. Right? Nobody can give me what I need. And it is hard to be in a relationship with people like that because their baseline for safety is not relational. I mean, there's empathy in both of them, really, because the the other one of thinking that like you were always the problem is also devastating. I mean, they're both devastating yeah. in their own ways. Yes, absolutely <laughs> heartbreaking. Really and I think that's the thing. Like whenever you break these things down, no matter what you're talking mm-hmm. about, if you get it to some sort of understanding of like what somebody had to go through to become that way or develop these habits for mm. safety, in my yeah, experience yeah. in therapy with my clients, I can always find empathy for them. Always. I'm getting, I'm in this moment, basically. <laughs> I'm gaining some empathy in this Absolutely. moment. Yeah. Like, it was like, I feel like it's, that's been bubbling, but in this moment, it's like, yeah. 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 Cause you have, Nick's had some relationships with some avoidant people who, mm-hmm. who have broken your heart and it has, right. it's been friendships, not even cried my face off. Relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 We won't go into those too deeply. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's there. It happens. And there's always a connection, a route and a path that like, you know, this, this originated and developed somewhere. Yeah. And so then we have fearful avoidant or a dismiss or a disorganized. disorganized. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's high anxiety and it's negative attitude towards self, negative attitude towards others. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Sometimes when I'm witnessing someone and I'm like, you seem like you're both anxious and avoidant. That's the disorganized. That's Mm. That's, okay. Boom. That is a moment of clarity for me because, you know, some of the dialogue around that isn't that clear on like the way that you said it of like others and self. That's a very 
clear way that I don't hear that particular languaging around that as much. So that's very helpful. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So there's both. There's both aspects. Yeah, right. It does. It matters, you know, how you feel about yourself and how you feel about others. It's both a huge factor in your attachment style. So that's why I like to frame it that way because it's A, simple, easy to remember and gets the message across pretty clear. So how do we, I'm laughing because this is another like whole episode, which you might have to come back. (laughs) Uh, How do we begin? I've done massive amounts of healing around my attachment. I have one question actually before we ask about the begin. And that is, I find that attachment styles, there's a connection between that and love languages. In my experience, when my love languages are being tended to in a very natural way, not in a way, because what I was talking about before of like that control and asking someone to do this and and the, the time spending, my love languages are words of affirmation and time spending or quality time. When those are tended to in a natural way where I don't have to, you know, the other person doesn't feel put out by it. For example, with Nick, I feel pretty secure in our polyamory because we live together. So time spending isn't an issue. And when I need, you know, words, I can ask for it. With other partners, that's always been a source of anxiety for me. But right now, the partner that I'm dating, he is super loquacious. Like he just speaks lots and lots of, that's his giving, right? Love language is words, words of affirmation. Mm -hmm. And it's not, feels very authentic. It's not like, oh my God, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. In some ways I'm like, oh, I don't want to get too attached Mm -hmm. to this because it won't always be that way. Right. And so I've noticed that, that I feel Mm -hmm. a little bit more grounded when those are just naturally being met. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So initially my thoughts I'm thinking specifically about what you said, and I might therapize you a little bit here. So <laughs> uh, bring it. <laughs> I think those are your specific love languages. That's what works for you. So what you're saying, I think, is that whenever those are met organically, naturally, right, you don't feel anxious in the relationship because your needs are being met. If somebody is not speaking to your heart in the language that it prefers then maybe the anxiety starts to take over. So I don't know if they're necessarily connected or for you specifically, finding these partners doesn't feel as anxiety inducing because they're, like I said, speaking the language mm. of your heart. Aww. I like that. I like that too. <laughs> so, I mean, what if Nick's style was gift giving and he's just showering mm-hmm. you with gifts all the time? Would that, yeah, yeah, I yeah. hear you. Would that create anxiety oh, no. for you? <laughs> I joke and say I'm, I'm all the love languages. Give them all to me. I just want to know that you love me you know, in one like way or another. Tons of people right now be like, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all them. And then I'm being like, it's not just me, you guys. It's not just me. I'm all of it. All the love oh, languages, all these special styles. All the time. All the time. <laughs> so how do we work towards, I don't want to say healing, you know, like being in relationship with our attachment styles and, okay. and, you know, moving towards maybe some of that learned security, which a good friend of mine who's a therapist had, <laughs> had said, and I was like, Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? Yeah. I like that too. I think it's first is insight, understanding yourself, knowing on a deeper level, what's motivating you to do different things. And I think speaking to somebody with an anxious attachment style, sometimes that can mean 
increasing your discomfort tolerance. So whenever you're talking about this scenario with you and Nick, when you first started dating, you're pacing (laughs) around your apartment, right? The first thing I thought is like in an argument, in conflict for anxiously attached people, typically it takes over. And I'll say this for myself. If my husband and I got into a, a fight or something, I would think about it all day. It would take over my entire day. I'd be doing the dishes like, (laughs) you know, and my husband's also securely attached. So he's just doing his work. And he's like, you know, when we get home, we're going to have a conversation and we'll sort it out and it'll be fine. Like how to fight this morning doesn't catastrophize because of it or anything. So like, I think having an awareness of what's happening for you in a relationship, in any given moment, it doesn't have to be conflict, is the first step that you can take to being relational, to, regardless of attachment style. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So, so I think with any of it though, like, oh, my first instinct is to pull away. What would happen if I just leaned in for 10 more minutes or one more minute or 30 seconds? I mean, when we're talking about increasing discomfort tolerance in any capacity, whether it's anxiously attached or avoidant or disorganized, right? 30 seconds can yeah, feel like a long yeah. time. But you're titrating, right? You're slowly starting to build that tolerance of being able to sit in that discomfort, whatever that may be. I also find speaking it, which is maybe like the next step is I feel like I want to pull away right now. My experience is I want to feel pull away or what I have done with partners that where we both knew and understood how we related from that attachment style space is we talked about it. We called it out like, oh, I'm getting activated right now. I'm getting dysregulated. So that's the other thing I've heard. Um, I'll try to put it in the show notes. Uh, she talks about anxiously attached as needing co-regulation like needing regulation. And that was a game changer for me, understanding that the someone who is anxiously attached, they think they need you know someone else to regulate themselves. My ability to self-regulate and to what I call resource safety from myself was a game changer mm-hmm. in my relationships. Now I can ask for it. Like we were on an interview the other day and there was some stuff that was being spoken about. And I just reached underneath and I just grabbed Nick's hand and held it. And because I just needed just a little bit, because I was like, I not dissociating right now probably wouldn't be best for this interview. So let me see if I can just have a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. And because Nick's secure, it's not a drain for him. It's not, he understands that and he'll use his words and his boundaries when he needs the space. You know, that was a huge game changer of being able to either ask for it, speak to what's going on in the moment, you know, without shame. And that takes some work to be able to do that at some some therapy. Yeah, but it's also very... Yeah, a lot of You're like, not some, Brittany, a lot. Go go to therapy, y'all. Seriously. For me, a lot. Do some therapy. Just do it, please. (laughs) For for humanity, for yourself. For your kids. Yeah, and like, it's. I think it's also ultra important that we are doing these things in fractal energetics, you know, like do small steps. Like you're, you're mm. saying in terms of like this, like, like these are muscles we have to build. And actually all of our existence, like is based off of us doing things in repetition, like not being good at that with hang, doing it again, doing it again. Oh, now I'm good at it. You know, it, it's just, this is no different. No different. So mm-hmm. It's small steps. You gotta like stretch yourself a little bit here and there in order to have that growth. It's really important. Yeah, right. So Glennon Doyle says, when things feel too big, take them small. Yes. Right. So we're talking about attachment styles and how to be in relationship 
with others and how to do it successfully. And that's a huge undertaking. Mm -hmm. But so you take it really small and you say, what is one little thing that I can do to improve that? And maybe that's becoming aware in a moment. I'm feeling activated. I'm going to just say to my partner, I need a second. And then coming back, actually coming back, that's an important part of a timeout, coming back around and saying, Ooh, thank you for giving me that space. I was feeling really activated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's it. I mean, I say that's it as if it's like the easiest thing in the world, but like, no no, no big deal. Piece of cake. (laughs) I've been doing that lately. That's it. All you have to do is just yeah. communicate your feelings, <laughs> you know, right? Everybody does it. No. <laughs> so let's move on to some quick fire questions. You ready? So <laughs> doing Wait, some, yep. some stretching, getting prepared mentally. Um, and so as you know, short and sweet of an answer as you can give, if it does feel like some elaboration is needed, we welcome it. But, you know, we'll, we'll kind of just flow with this. You go first. Sure. Pick whatever one you want. Something that makes you belly laugh. My son asking to listen to jock jams at 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> that's making me belly laugh. Yeah. That would make me as well. <laughs> <laughs> right. What's your love language? Oh, quality time. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? <laughs> well, my first instinct was to be invisible. I think that just speaks to the time in my life where like, I have two small children. People need things from me all the time. I just want to be invisible sometimes. <laughs> Where's mommy? So, okay. So this is a fun, sexy one. If you could have a threesome with two people, famous people, living, dead, magical, like they could be any, who would they be? First one that comes to my head is MJ Rodriguez. She is in pose. You can just tell by looking in her eyes that she just yeah, has yeah. so much depth and like. <laughs> I feel like we were going to see it. Yes, it's there. I'm feeling it. Um, <laughs> you're in it. You're just like, oh, now I got to okay, look, look her up. This person up. <laughs> okay. So that's one. Oh, I'm like, yes. Okay. And what is romance for you? Slowing down together. If there was one food that could give you an orgasm, what would it be? Or is there a food that gives you an orgasm? Mozzarella sticks. Oh, nice. you said I felt that like in my like throat and automatic, like, automatically. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I just saw these gluten-free mozzarella sticks here because I don't do gluten right now because my body's like, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. And I saw them and I was like, oh. I wonder if those would be good. I moaned. So I feel you. If you could have sex anywhere in the world, where would it be? I think really, really high up on a mountain peak where I can see lots of stuff going on. Like there's like clouds and nature and all of these things all around, but you're oh, completely alone I like that. with That's the cool. person yeah. or people. I had, one, I, had a, I had a whole thing pop in my head. <laughs> that was so funny. I feel like this is the first time the full like <laughs> cackle laugh is uh, starting to come out. Yeah. You brought out the cackle laugh. Release it. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I feel completely honored. I feel like that's like a badge I want to wear on my shirt. And in today's episode, (laughs) the award for Cackle Laugh goes to Amy (laughs) for making me Cackle Laugh. Thank you. I'd love to thank (laughs) my kids. (laughs) My son who listens to Jock Jones at 7 (laughs) a.m. Thank you so much, Amy, for, for being here, for just this lovely candid exchange it's felt so good nourishing so so appreciated thank you so much for your time and your wisdom yes your expertise yeah (laughs) as a therapist thank you so much for having me so Brittany, i want to thank you 
I mean, thank you for both having me, but Brittany, you know, on a more historic level, because I don't feel like if I had had my yoga journey that I would have become a therapist. So you had a huge role to play in that. And so thanks. Thank you. Oh, that means so much. And brings us back to that question of like, why did you take this journey? So (laughs) full circle. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Here we are. Full circle again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that I received that fully in my heart and so happy in the ways that we uh, plant seeds in each other's lives. Because I think it happens a lot. And when we can come back to those full circle moments and have those acknowledgements, they are just so sweet and pleasurable, to be honest. Yes. Great preach. So thank you. Is there anything, we're going to give everyone your socials and your info, anything else that you want to wrap, let people know about? Yeah, my socials and all of that, the practice that I work at, the therapy group is an incredibly accepting, non-judgmental, health at every size, anti-racist practice. So I just, we have clinicians in quite a few states. So if anybody's looking for a therapist or a sex therapist specifically, check them out. I feel very blessed to work there and to be part of that group. So wonderful. And the therapy group. The therapy group. Yep. Got it. Okay. Thank you, Amy. Thank you so much. Ah, once again, a lovely, lovely connection, conversation. What'd you get out of that? I think this conversation with Amy was in a lot of ways felt like a piece of the purpose of why we decided to start doing this. Yeah you know, candid conversations Mm -hmm. (laughs) about sex relationships and being human. Like all of that was covered in this episode and it felt really nourishing to me to be able to just to be in that very candid conversation with you and talk about ourselves and a little bit about our personal lives. And it just felt really rich to me and harmonious. I love that. Yeah, you said it all right there, 100%. Like I could add anything else to that that would uh, add. I'm sure there are. Well, there is, but <laughs> do I want to or do I need to? That's the thing. I'm like, I don't feel like I need to do that right now. And that's your way. As being a secure person, I bet that has something to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't need that. And I'm like being okay. a little bit more anxious. I'm like, I got to keep going. Yeah. Is it enough? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, I am enough. <laughs> I'll try my best to not have to say a lot of stuff sometimes and read the center of my thoughts and conversations. I want to work on that. And I don't think I have that anything. Thank you so much for listening. Follow Amy at Amy's Emotional. That's A-M-Y-S Emotional at Instagram. And you can check out the therapy group at thetherapygroup.com. Follow me at sexually underscore liberated on Instagram and check out my website at brittanypolacastro.com. You can follow me at Nick Anthony Photo on Instagram. There's no H in Anthony. And you can check out my website at nickanthony.com. Editing by Audionauts. Music by Greta Hopper. And please leave us five stars on iTunes. Give us a review. That stuff goes a long way. And share this podcast. Help us spread the kitchen table love. Until next time.